All right. So, this is maybe an awkward question in, in mixed company with younger students and older adults, but have you ever been asked an awkward question, like a, a deep question, like r- way too soon? Uh, early on in a relationship, way too soon, it goes way too deep, and you're just like, whoa, like, let's slow down a little bit. Um, well, I'm about to do that to you in just a second, but let me tell you a story about how I did that with my wife, who wasn't my wife when I met her. So my wife and I met at, Bo- at Bible College. Um, we, we were hanging out with a group for, I don't know, four to six weeks, and I could tell she was really into me. Um, that's not how she tells it, but, but I, I was like, okay, I'm interested. I don't know if she is, maybe. So let's, let's have a DTR, which I didn't know what that was. A DTR, do you guys know what the DTR is? Um, determine the relationship. So I, I said, well, let's go get some hot chocolate at Country Kitchen. Um, anybody been to a Country Kitchen? There, yes, if, you, if you're from jo- Never been part of that. What? It's not in Joplin anymore? Oh. When I was in college, it was, Country Kitchen was like the IHOP, but nicer. It was like a way nicer version. Anyway, so they had a bottomless hot, cho- hot chocolate cup that you could get. So I said, let's go get some hot chocolate and just get to know each other. Um, we get our hot chocolate, we sit down, and right from the gate, I said, how's your relationship with God? Which I sincerely meant it, because I really was, wanted to know. Um, I found out later, that's like a really weird question to ask right out the gate, instead of like, where are you from? Or what's your last name? Or, you know, anything else? And so, and especially at Ozark, so if if you're familiar with like a Bible college culture, which maybe some of you are, most of you probably aren't, usually what follows is, will you marry me? That's like this, because when you go on a date with somebody, it's like, oh my gosh, did you see that so-and-so is dating? That means they're going to be married. And so there's a lot of misconceived perceptions I didn't understand until later I realized that's probably a dumb question to ask right at the gate. Not a dumb question, but maybe, maybe start with where you're from. Um, so the question I'm going to start with that we're going to go deep quick is, just because this is what I do, is do you really believe this thing? Like where are you at with this? with this Bible. Now, the temptation is to go, yeah, I do. And I think there are, there's a spectrum of like, where are we at with this? So maybe on one side of the spectrum, somebody here might be saying, I'm, yeah, I, th- I think I value it. I, I think I believe it. Um, maybe I've been told to believe it my whole life. Um, I, I don't know how much I believe it, but I think I value it. So that's on one side. And others might be on this other side that you're like, yeah, I'm all in. I, I, I need this thing to um, help me understand my life. I need this thing to show me what to do. I, I need it to be the authority of my life. Now, I don't always like, obey it perfectly, and I, I struggle to, to really apply it sometimes, but I want to. I want it to have authority of my life. And so I would say that in a room like this, there's probably a, a spectrum of like where we're at with this book. Um, and so the one, the one thing I want to encourage you to do in, in the series in, for this summer, 
because this is the only time I'm up here, so this is my one shot to like encourage you, um, is to consider what it's saying, to, to pay attention to it. Um, so actually Paul's going to do this in Philippians. He does this quite a bit with the church, and, and I'll talk about that later. But, but I, I, want, I want to offer you an opportunity to, to make a decision today, or maybe for this whole summer each week, you say, okay, today I, I, can't, I can't honestly say I'm going to come in and I'm going to live this thing out perfectly every day, every time I read this thing. I, but I, what, I, what you can commit to do is say, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to listen closely. I'm going to consider what it's saying. And then, and then ask God, how do you want me to respond? So think about what would happen if the summer of 2021 which has coming off of a crazy year, the summer of 21 being a year that you remember as like, that's the year, that's the summer I really like paid attention to what God was saying and I responded to Him. Like what if, what if 21 was that year? What if, um, what if you listened to the God who can speak things into existence, things that were not that become based on what he says. You know, what if, what if you listen to the God who can raise people back to life? So, if we do that, like, in, in, in a room this size, the options and the possibilities for what, what would happen are, are, are endless. Like, there's no way for us to be able to um, determine. Maybe in 20 years, we could say, yeah, that summer... When, when I listen to God, this is how my life changed. It may not change you, your life geographically. Like you may not go anywhere different. It may change everything on the inside. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to I remind you um, to just to consider what it's saying and to be willing to respond to God in faith. So my, my goal for today is to talk about basic um, principles of interpreting the Bible. So we're going to talk about that here in just a second. And then I'm going to introduce Philippians to you. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, the context of what's going on. And then at the end, we're going to read through the whole book together. Okay? And then we're going to pause in between to kind of reflect on what's been said. So that's kind of the goal for the morning. So I want to get started. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and show this slide. Uh, there's a few of these cards on, on each table. Not on every one, because I'll have more next week. I didn't bring enough. Um, but uh, this is like, my, I, I, took a, I took a class in college called Principles of Interpretation, actually taught by a professor his first year to teach at Ozark. His name was Jim Johnson, and he taught this. And I remember the very first week him showing off his Canadian accent. Um, all I remember him, him saying is, he was talking about the movie Titanic, and he said, it's about a boat. And that's when I knew, this guy's different. Um, but anyway, Jim taught this class for me, and it's a semester-long class called Principles of Interpretation, and we took that whole class, and we kind of boiled it down to this little card. And so we are barely scratching the surface with this, but here's, what, here's what's on this, and there's some blanks there on your, on, your, on your handout if you want to fill this in. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, there's really kind of three moves, okay? There's three moves. The first move is in that bottom left-hand corner, and, and our goal is author's intended meaning. 
This is what we're after. We're trying to understand what did the author intend when, um, when they wrote what they wrote? What was the audience going through? What, what, did they, what did they understand the author saying to them? That's what we're trying to get after. That's, that's step one. We have to start there. We can't start with what does it mean to me because we don't know yet. We have to start with what's the author's intended meaning? Another word you could put next to that is observe. Observe. Because you can never know what something says until you, you can never know what something means until you know what it says. So you can put observe, maybe in, in, in parentheses next to, next to that author's intended meaning. Um, the second move, so it, under author's intended meaning, what we're going to talk about here today actually is historical context and literary context. So we'll, we'll actually get into that here today. The next move is if you notice the dotted lines, you can go through dotted lines, you can't go through solid lines. You move up, you go up to this next phase, which is we're trying to understand what's, what's kind of a timeless principle. What's, what's, a, what's something that is taught to all people at all times? Okay? And one way we, we can understand if we're on the right track is, does, is this consistent with what other scriptures say? Like, is this a principle that maybe is taught in other scriptures? That's why we need to kind of look at parallel passages, but that's what that means. But really what we're trying to say is, what does this mean for all people at all times? That helps us, that helps us take this very specific thing from a first century context, maybe, like Philippians, into kind of like, okay, let, let me shake off the first century part of it and what's left that would, that would apply to everyone. And then from there, we can move into the, step, the stage three, which is today's application. Then we can ask, okay, now that I kind of understand what it meant to them, and now what I kind of think what it means to maybe all people, um, here's how I think it could be, it, what are the implications in my life? How is this significant to me? That's, that is a very important step, but it's, but it's very important that it's the third step, I think. So that's just kind of a brief, brief walk through this, this process that we, we, that we go through whenever we're trying to interpret the Bible. Um, next, to, next to timeless principle, you could say, you can say interpret. You can put in parentheses interpret. And then obviously next to today's application, you can put imply, or apply. So you have observe, interpret, apply. That's maybe a simpler way to talk about it. So that's the, that's the process that we go through that we, we believe is really important whenever we sit down with a book like this and go, okay, I wanna, I wanna understand what this says, um, but I can't just start with, what does it mean to me? I've gotta start with this process. And so each person that gets up here to teach is gonna walk through this process with you. They're going to start with, they, they may not tell you what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. They're walking through these three moves. All right. So now I want to get into, I'm going to spend probably the next 10 minutes or so just walking through some historical background to introduce the book of Philippians to you. Okay. So uh, you, can, you have their author. So the author is, anybody want to take a guess? Paul. Paul is the author. Um, and, and there's really not a whole lot of debate to that. When you, when you read um, other scholars and as they try to figure out who, who wrote what, there's not a whole lot of debate to it. But we know that Paul was writing from prison. Um, most likely, the traditional understanding is Rome. And so he's, he's most likely towards the end of his life, maybe, um, in Rome, in prison. 
and he's, and he's writing a letter to this church, this group of people, this church that he started, that we're going to talk, we'll actually look at in Acts where, when he started the church in Philippi. And he's writing to encourage them. So he's like, imagine Paul in prison writing a letter to these people that he loves. So that's what's happening. So Paul being in prison is, is going to be a really key thing to, to keep in mind whenever we read through Philippians, whenever you're studying it. So like, do you remember? He wrote this from prison. He wrote this from prison. So that's a helpful thing to kind of keep in mind. Second thing is the city is Philippi. Um, currently, Philippi is basically the area where Philippi was in the first century is northern Greece. And it was a Roman city. It was about 10 miles inland um, off of a kind of a major port. So it was a major city. It also, it, it, it stretched, it was on this path called the Ignatian Way. And if you wanted to spell that, it's E-G-N-A-T-I-A-N, way. It, it was a road, a Roman road that, that was like 250,000 miles long, okay? Crazy. It, it, it's, it, modern day, it extends from Istanbul, Turkey, all the way across to the east. And uh, it, it ends right at the water, I think it's the Mediterranean, right at this water spot, that, and right across the Mediterranean is Rome. So it's kind of like their way of, 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 you could get from northern Turkey all the way to Rome by taking this Ignatian way. And Philippi was right on that road. So it was kind of a major route. It was a major city in, in that sense. One of the most famous things that happened in Philippi, uh, most of you have probably all heard the story of Julius Caesar being assassinated, okay? So most likely this is where this took place. It's, it's where Mark Anthony and Octavian defeated Cassius and Brutus after they assassinated Julius Caesar. So I don't actually, Julius Caesar probably wasn't assassinated there, but it was, it was when, um, from what I understand, Mark Anthony and Octavian defeated those who assassinated Julius Caesar. So, et tu, Brute? Uh, high schoolers, how many of you know what that means? Et tu, Brute? Okay. Et tu, et tu, Brute? What does that mean? Brutus, yes, as close. Okay, what's what does that mean? What's the et tu brute? It's a famous line, and you all need to know it. What is it? Yeah, what is it? What is happening? Who says it? Caesar says it. Yes, when he's being assassinated, he thinks Brutus is like his close friend or whatever, and he's like, "You too? You're killing me too? Like you're a part of this too?" Anyway, et tu brute. There you go. Education. It's all important. All right, so here's the thing. Here's why it's important that you need to know that Philippi is a Roman colony. It's because Philippi's Romanness uh, will come, will, should play in your mind as you read through Philippians. So there was a common phrase among, among Roman colonies that when you, sometimes when you maybe a greeting or something you would state is Caesar is Lord. Okay? Caesar is Lord. What, did, what would that mean? Caesar is Lord. He's king. Yeah, Caesar's king. So what would be a phrase that, that would come up in Philippians that might be different than that, but similar? Jesus is Lord. So for a Christian in a, in a, in a Roman city to confess Jesus is Lord, that usurps, that, that overthrows, that, that um, is maybe disrespectful to Caesar. 
So that was, that was a, that's a big deal. Like that's a, in, in back in those days, a very big deal. So every time you see the phrase Lord or Jesus is Lord in Philippians, know, okay, this is a Roman city. That's a big deal to confess Jesus as Lord. Okay. The third thing is the church. I don't know if you have any of those. The third thing is the church is most likely would have, would have had most made up of mostly poor people. Um, they, they believe that anytime a, a Roman city was started, they would have these colonists that were wealthy that would go and kind of help, help get the thing going. Maybe 20% of, this, of the city would, would, be a, would be colonists, so wealthy, elite type people. And then the rest of the people would be servants that were kind of brought in to work the city, to make it happen. And so there, there's a pretty decent chance in a church of maybe 50 to 100 at the most when Paul writes um, that it would have been made up of mostly poor people, maybe one to two wealthier people. Actually, we'll learn about one lady named Lydia here in just a second that we know a little bit about. But for the most part, a poor congregation. That'll be important when we, when we get into Philippians here in just a second. Um, and then the last one, turn to Acts 16. This is, this is when we're going to actually read. Actually, we're not going to read, read it, but I'm going to point it out. I'd love for you to read it later. Acts 16. So Paul is on his, uh, I believe, second missionary journey. He, he wants to go north, but he feels the Spirit telling him to go uh, west. Sorry, I said east earlier. It's west. Anyway, from Istanbul west to Rome. Sorry. East is... Istanbul, west is Rome. So anyway, he feels the Spirit saying to him, go west, go into Macedonia, go towards these people. So he does. And he ends up in Philippi in, in 16, um, really starting at verse, verse 11. So again, we're not going to read it, but you see that little paragraph. It says Lydia's conversion, if you have a CSP. It says Lydia's conversion. So Paul walks into the city of, of Philippi, and they don't have a synagogue, which is normally where he goes. He always goes into a synagogue. The reason he, don't, they, he doesn't go into a synagogue, actually, is most likely because they didn't have one. And the only way to have a, a, a synagogue was to have at least 10 Jewish men. So this is probably a sign that there's not a great, uh, not, a, not a big Jewish population if Paul doesn't go into the synagogue. Instead, he goes to this little prayer meeting where some women are gathering and so he goes there, and he shares the gospel, and Lydia, who's there, she comes to Christ. She, she believes and accepts the gospel, and then her, her and her whole household are baptized. And we know Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth, and, <clears throat> and that she was wealthy. So Paul ends up staying with her throughout his ministry. Um, eventually, he's, he's going throughout the city. And there's this slave girl who was possessed by a demon who was owned by these people uh, who, would, who would basically kind of use her to like do crazy things, say crazy things, predict things, and then they would earn money from her. Okay? So she, Paul would go throughout Philippi, it says it in the next little section, and this slave girl was, was basically saying, this is Paul, he, he's a servant of the Most High God. He, and she would say this over and over and over. So much so that look at verse, um, verse 18. It says, she did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. 
So he frees her from this demon. That's what he does. He turns, he says, all right, be gone. You're, you're gone. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And she does. And so we don't know what happens to this girl. There's a decent chance that she would have been an early convert, an early member of this Philippi church along with Lydia. So Paul and Silas, so the, the people that owned the slave girl, they decided to r- report Paul to the, the, the governing authorities. And they throw him into prison, he and Silas. And he and Silas, Paul and Silas are in prison, shackled most likely. And they're singing praise hymns to God. Okay? This gives you a little bit of picture about the kind of man and, and men that Paul and Silas were. To be able to, in the midst of a, being shackled in a prison, to be singing praise songs to God. I don't know what you would be doing then. I don't know if I would be doing that. And in the middle of that, there's this giant earthquake and the doors come open. And the jailer that's there. So there's kind of this thing. If, if you're in charge of prisoners and you lose a prisoner then you, as a jailer, you have to pay their penalty. And most likely it meant death. And so all these doors fling open, and all the prisoners could flee, and the jailer doesn't know it. So he goes to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 don't. We're all here. And, and from that point on, Paul shares the gospel with him, and he and his whole household are baptized. So we know at least these two families, Lydia's family and this jailer's family, are a part of this church. And we think maybe this slave girl too. So what a, what a weird start to a church. Think about the members that would be in this group. So that's what we know about, um, about the early church in Philippi. We don't know a whole lot else, but that's what we know. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a... I'm going to just take a short break. Um, and I'd love for you to just, at, at your tables, take maybe a minute or two. If you need to get up and use the restroom, you can. But at your tables, just talk a little bit about something that jumped out at you and why some of these details about the history uh, of historical context of Philippi will help when we read the book here in just a second. Okay? So we'll take, we'll take a couple of minute break. Okay. So I want to walk through... Now that we've talked about historical background, I want to walk through some literary context, okay? Basically, I'm just going to give you four major themes. So I'm going to talk through those themes a little bit, uh, and I'm going to give you about one or two minutes to just say which of these themes uh, maybe jump out at you or maybe something you, you need to think through, and then, and, and then we're going to come right back up and we're going to read the whole book. Um, so, first... First thing, let me, let me just say this, because sometimes you, it's hard to tell um, with, with these letters where the, what the tone is. Most consider Philippians like a friendly letter. Paul seems to be very pleased with the church of Philippi. That's not always the case. Paul, Paul if you've read Galatians, Paul can really kind of go after a church. He's not afraid to challenge, but he's, he seems very pleased with Philippians. <clears throat> and he mainly is he's thanking them for their generosity. He's warning them against theological error, which we'll talk about here in a second. He, he reminds them of the character of Jesus, and why that's so important, and he calls them to live a unified life under him, under Christ. So that's, that's kind of a, the, maybe a, in, a, in a sentence what, what Paul's doing. But here's, one, here's the first theme, and this will take me a little bit, this is probably the biggest one, is consider 
think rightly, comprehend Jesus. Um, And that may sound, okay, yeah, of course it's about Jesus. Well, what I mean is, well, let me, let me start with this, this, this story. It's sometimes we can, this might help. So I meet with a group of guys on a weekly basis, and, and we are sitting around, and I'm a little nervous to share this story because you high schoolers may take what I'm saying and go try to do it. Don't do that, okay? Um, but we sit around a group of guys, and we're talking about dumb things that we've done while driving, okay? Dumb things we've done while driving. One guy was talking about how he was in... Um, Oregon one time and he was in this he he and his wife had rented this car and they were driving through the mountains or mountainous area and it was like a rainstorm and he's just like determined he's not going to stop because he's got to get to where he's got to and so he's like he can't see but six feet in front of him but he's white knuckling this on this mountain road in the rain and he's going what why was I doing I should have just stopped just pulled over just you know I I was telling a story about um, one time I was coming home really, really late. And I lived, where I lived growing up, um, I lived on this, this kind of windy highway. And it was great to drive in, in the daytime, but really nerve-wracking to drive at night because you couldn't really see around the corner. And I remember I was coming home so late, I was so tired. Okay, so don't, don't do this. Um, but I was so tired that I decided to give one eye a chance to sleep at a time. Anybody? Adults? Have you done this? You're just like, okay, I'm so tired. I'll just give one eye, one eye, and then I'll switch and let the other eye sleep. And so I, I remember that. I don't remember leaving. I don't remember anything about the drive other than me giving my eyes uh, a sleep, alternating. And then I remember getting home safely. But I remember thinking about 10 years later, that was really, really dumb. I could have killed myself or somebody else. Um, and then I, this other guy was describing a time where he got a DUI, okay? He left a party, and, and people asked him, what were you thinking? He's like, I was thinking, I feel fine, and I'm tired, and I want to go home to bed. That's what I'm, I'm thinking about my bed. I'm thinking about crawling into bed. That's what I was thinking. And he gets pulled over, and he got a DUI, driving under influence. Big deal. Big deal. Lost his license. Lots of bad things happened. Um, but like a lot worse could have happened. And, and, and so he was sitting there reminiscing, going, yeah, I know, like, like, it's so stupid. Why was I? And, and so if you've ever done anything dumb and then look back and go, why did I do that? What was I thinking? It's because sometimes we just need to be reminded, like, there are consequences to our decisions and the way we live. And, and so what Paul is really going to get after in Philippians is why Jesus really matters. Like, it's not just, yeah, I, I know he died for my sins, so what else, I mean, what else is there? It's like, no, there are big-time implications to, to how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and how we serve others and how we live our life. And, and if you've ever wondered, like, why you should understand theology, or if you've ever wondered why you should more, know more about Jesus. Or if maybe you've, you've ever wondered, like, how do I live different? Am I supposed to be different than the rest of the world or live different than the world? Um, Jesus prays this prayer. I pray that they will be in the world but not of the world. Paul is really going to, like, tackle that for us. He's really going to go after that in Philippians. 
And so it's, it's, it's super important that we consider what's being said about Jesus and, and comprehend the implications of what's being said about Jesus for our life. So that's a big theme in Philippians. Here's the next one. Well, actually, let me say this. Uh, this, this is important. Um, 17 times this idea of think, consider, comprehend, focus is mentioned. It's kind of the same root word, comes up in different forms, but 17 different times he's saying um, think, consider, comprehend, focus. Um, A.W. Tozer, who's kind of a theologian that wrote in the 1500s, or no, 50s, 60s, 1950s, 60s, he says that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because that changes how I view myself, that changes how I live my day, that changes how I treat others, that changes where I'm heading is how I think about God. So that's, that's kind of the idea. Paul's going to really challenge us to do that. Second thing, second um, theme, is that Christian unity is founded on the gospel. Christian unity, unity founded on the gospel. It's not just... Um, it's not just Christian unity for unity's sake. It's not um, teamwork that makes a dream work. That, that's a great phrase when you're trying to win the championship. Um, but, but it's not really what, this, what he's describing. It's a kind of unity that is different, that's other, otherly. Um, he's going to use a word koinonia in, in Philippians. It's describing unity or a partnership or a fellowship. It's, it's being like-minded. So think about Lydia... Okay, this, this wealthy woman, seller of purple cloth. Think about this slave girl, if she was a part of this church, who was possessed by a demon and freed from that. Think about this jailer, who was most likely ex-military. Philippi had a, had a large ex-military uh, population. A lot of people, a lot of military men retired then and their families there. So most likely he was ex-military, had been through a lot, seen a lot. So you think about, he's, he's saying, be like-minded. Be unified. Those are really different people. I don't know if you've ever really um, been, been around enough people to go like, wow, we are different. And the temptation is to say, you know, our personalities just clash. I think I'll find another group. I think I'll just go to another church. I think I'll just ignore that person. But what Paul's calling us to is like surrender some things and go, okay, um, the people at your table right now uh, they, you could be anywhere in the world. They could be anywhere in the world, and you're sitting at a table in a gym in Stillwater, Oklahoma, studying Philippians. It's kind of like, huh, maybe God's put these people in my life for a reason. Maybe I should maybe try to understand who they are and what they're about and what God's doing. So he's going to talk about um, why we should be connected to a church. He's going to talk about um, um, that it's not just you and God, there's, there's a whole group, of, there's a church that's involved in this. Right? That's the second one. The third one is joy in the midst of suffering. This is a fun one. Uh, maybe especially after you're like this past year. So I don't know if you're good at being joyful when life is hard. Um, I don't know if you're good at like ignoring how I feel. And just focusing on the goodness of God in my circumstances. Anybody really good at that? Don't raise your hand because we'll just maybe not like you as much. Um, 
My, my guess is we're not great at it. Paul's going Paul's to, remember, he's from prison, he, uh, writing from prison. Fifteen times this word, this Greek word chara, which for joy, shows up in, in a couple different forms. Um, words like rejoice, joy, glad, um, shows up 15 different times in, in Philippians. And again, he's writing from prison. So Paul's going to demonstrate how he like, rejoices in the midst of suffering. But he's also going to challenge. He's not just going to say, hey, uh, just live by my, I'm just going to be an example to you guys. He's going to say, no, you rejoice. I know you guys are suffering too. And rejoice. And then he'll say, let me say it again. Rejoice. And it's not just like a suggestion, it's a command. Paul's going to command us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. To rejoice when things are hard. That's, that's going to step on some toes. So, that's the third one. The fourth one is Philippians. One of the things, that, like I said earlier, one of the things that Paul is encouraging and thankful for is their generosity because he, they give to his mission. And so, they are generous out of poverty. So, I don't know about you, but most of the time, I am generous out of my abundance. I have extra, and I got all my needs met, so I'll give you some, I'll give the extra. But what, it, what would it look like? What would it mean to give sacrificially, to give others that, that takes away from yours? Um, that, and that's what Paul's going to basically commend them for. They're going to be an example of this, uh, of, of doing this. Paul's going to praise them for giving sacrificially. He's going, to, he's going to talk about a man named Epaphroditus, which was somebody that the church sent to him to be a support to him. And, and they, they provided that that way. And they brought things to Paul through Epaphroditus. And, and Paul, or Epaphroditus gets really sick and he almost dies. And, and then the church is worried about him. And so Paul is going to talk about that relationship here in Philippians. Um, but it's also similar, if, you, if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, Paul uh, encourages or is thankful for, for the church in Corinth to do the same thing. They were generous with what God had been generous to them with. So those are the four things. So take just a, a minute or two to talk about which of those maybe you are interested in learning, and then we're going to read Philippians together. Ready to go. All right. So my wife and I are going to read. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, I'm going to read this section. You've got the sections broken out for you. And I'm going to read a section. And we're going to take about one minute in between each section for you to, to, you can underline something in the Bible that jumps out. You can put a question. You can write down something. Um, but th- we're just going to give you a minute to kind of reflect on it and, and observe what's, what's being said. And then she's, I'm going to read one, and then she's going to read one, and then I'll read the next. So we're going to kind of alternate. Um, this is my wife, Ryan, by the way, for those of you who don't know. So here we go. You ready? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you. And peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership with the gospel from this day, from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you all, about all of you, because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Take a minute. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that is that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What, it is, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that, now is, <clears throat> but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death.
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the, in the, of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by, by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are encouraged or since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If then <clears throat> there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. <clears throat> Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like the stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who would genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know this, know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because, he, because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him and may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came, so, he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Boast in Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I have considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung 
so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by, by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to this, the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is, is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, 
through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but I but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make it make do with little and how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for, for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increased to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, so here's what we'll do just for the remaining minutes, and when you're done with this, you can, you can kind of get up and head out, um, maybe head to the next service. Uh, but basically just, I'd love for at least to talk about one thing that jumped out. 
in the book of Philippians. Four chapters, there's plenty. Some of you may have to limit what you share. Others may have to like just have the boldness to say what, what jumped out at you. But just share something. You underline something that, that you wrote down uh, at your table, and then you're free to go.